welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USERF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. I'm Dwight Bashir. Today we're going to talk about the historic and unprecedented protests happening in Cuba. You know, how these protests have impacted religious communities in particular and the opportunities that have presented themselves for the United States uh, government to support uh, religious freedom on the island and, and more broadly human rights in general. You know, Cuba's government has long been responsible for violating its citizens' right to freedom of religion and belief, so they're no stranger to being highlighted on this issue. In fact, USERF recently recommended uh, to the State Department yet again that Cuba be placed on its special watch list uh, just a couple of months ago when we released our annual report for engaging in uh, severe violations uh, of religious freedom. And we had been making that recommendation uh, for many years uh, before that. So uh, it's really the protests that have uh, kind of organically evolved the, that unprecedented nature that we really want to uh, use this opportunity to learn a little bit about those and, and the implications on religious freedom. We're fortunate uh, today that I'm joined by USERF Supervisory Policy Analyst Kirsten Lavery uh, to go deeper on this topic. Welcome, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here on short notice. And, and I think it's it's important for our listeners to, to get a sense. And if they're not aware uh, where these protests came from and what's been going on, if you can start by giving us a sense of uh, what, what uh, happened, how did they come about and what's going on right now in Cuba? Um, so as you mentioned, there's really been this uh, recent unprecedented island-wide demonstrations across Cuba that really started to happen um, organically with people organizing um, through social media. So they started on uh, July 11th um, when thousands of Cubans from all different walks of life and really just ordinary people took to the streets. Uh, the Cuban government responded uh, kind of heavy-handedly, and they've arrested at least 500 activists and um, uh, peaceful protesters. We don't know for sure what the number is, but currently um, that's the best guess. Um, while arresting these protesters, um, the government was particularly violent. Uh, so many individuals uh, were wounded, and there's reportedly even been um, several deaths of these peaceful protesters. The Cuban government has also um, tried to shut down internet communications, um, particularly since the demonstrators used um, the internet to organize. Uh, and this has kind of made it a bit harder to get information about what's been happening. A lot of the people that took to the streets uh, were calling for relief from uh, the economic and COVID-19 crises, which have been really bad recently in Cuba. But there are also a lot of people calling for um, greater freedom, uh, particularly the freedom of expression. And so if you look at um, pictures of these protests, you'll see a lot of people with signs um, saying Libertad, or they'll be screaming that, um, which means freedom. 
And so I think it's helpful um, to also understand a bit in terms of the context about um, some earlier protests that kind of planted the seed to what we're seeing now. Uh, so in November, uh, there was a crackdown on um, the San Isidero movement known as MSI. And so they're a group of artists um, and they were opposed to um, some restrictions on artistic expression that the Cuban government had um, put in place. And so at that time, um, it really sparked, you know, even for then uh, rare protests, although nothing to the magnitude of what we're seeing now. Um, and so in response, the Cuban government took a similar um, approach of um, detaining members of this movement. Uh, and this is something that we actually discuss in USURF's annual report this year, uh, because the Cuban authorities were denying uh, these protesters their right uh, to religious freedom. And they were doing this by uh, putting them under house arrest, not allowing them to go to religious services, and then at the same time, blocking religious leaders that were trying to come and meet with them um, from being able to meet uh, and you know, have access to the, this religious support. So these, this group of artists then um, came together and uh, created a song and a music video um, called Patria y Vida, which means uh, homeland and life. And so this is turning this revolutionary expression, um, it's, you know, th that expression is homeland and death, um, and, you know, making this very, the song is very critical of um, the regime. And so it's gone viral. It has over 7 million uh, views on Facebook. Um, and it's part of what's inspired these demonstrations as well. Um, you'll see people with signs saying Patria Vida as well. Uh, and so, you know, in the interim, uh, we've continued to see against the artists involved in that song, the same pattern of denying them um, access to um, their religious freedom and religious support specifically. Um, so, you know, to bring it back to what's happening today, um, the, those that are detained, um, we're starting to see the Cuban authorities holding um, some summary uh, trials. Um, and so they're doing this with charges such as inciting disorder or disobedience, uh, but they're merely for protesting uh, peacefully. And so because the pandemic is ongoing, they're able to aggregate the charges. And so they're threatening um, these demonstrators with prison sentences up to 20 years, um, which is something that's really concerning. Uh, typically, Cuban trials have really a lot of due process concerns, but we're seeing the same thing here. Um, a lot of these trials are collective, so groups are just going in front of um, a judge together, and they're being held in secret. Um, so very concerning uh, with all these detentions um, and what we're seeing. Yeah, thanks for that background. I know that obviously in the first few days, uh, uh, USURF was concerned. We issued a statement uh, expressing our concern uh, regarding the specific detention of religious leaders amid the uh, initial crackdown. Uh, can you give us an update on uh, what the status is of uh, some of those religious uh, leaders who were detained? And have there been any others like that since then? Yeah, so as you mentioned, USERF came out with this, a statement expressing um, our concern about the detention of religious leaders um, simply for peacefully protesting and, and calling for greater human rights. Uh, I think it's helpful to flag that this is an evolving situation. And so uh, we're continuing to learn about new religious leaders that are detained and also, um, thankfully, 
some that have been released. Uh, so I'd like to put in a plug for um, the listeners to take a look at uh, USERF's Freedom of Religion or Belief um, Victims List, uh, where we're featuring uh, those that we are aware of that are still in custody um, and have been detained for more than three days um, that would like public advocacy about their case. So um, I say that in case there's been any changes um, in, in the situation. Uh, two uh, pastors that we noted in our press release are Yorme Blanco and Yorian Sierra. They were detained on July 11th when the protests started. Um, they're from a Providence where coronavirus has been particularly bad, and they took to the streets and were reportedly arrested pretty violently. We've heard reports that police put dogs on them. And so they were detained. Um, they've been reportedly moved to a maximum security prison. And the authorities have told their wives that they are um, have criminal cases pending against them. Uh, so we're really concerned about their cases um, and are watching closely what's happening with them. Um, we also mentioned a uh, Reverend Montanejo of the Eastern Baptist Convention. And from what the information that we have, his whereabouts are currently unknown. Um, there have been some people that have been more or less disappeared and people have not been able to locate. Um, and he's one of them. We mentioned in the press release another individual, Father Castro Jose Alvarez. Uh, he's a really strong advocate for human rights in Cuba. Um, he's someone that USERP has met with, and he's specifically called for greater religious freedom. And um, he was involved in the protests as well and um, reportedly went to um, help another protester that had been harmed and the authorities uh, hit him in the head with a bat and then detained him. And so fortunately he's been released, but it's really concerning the violence that was used against a priest. And, you know, we've called on the Cuban authorities to investigate um, the violence and hold Cuban authorities that uh, committed it accountable. Another concerning trend that we've received information on is that um, members of the Free Yoruba Association of Cuba are being targeted and detained. Uh, they're an independent Santeria community. Uh, we released a fact sheet on how this uh, group is targeted earlier this year. Uh, they experience uh, detentions, harassment. Uh, the government frequently tries to co-opt their religion. And so I invite those that are interested to take a look at that to learn more about this community. Uh, and so it's very concerning to hear that, you know, members have been detained and are, you know, pending criminal charges for joining the, the protest um, peacefully. And so, as I said, it's, you know, this is just kind of, you know, the, the beginning and there's a number of other people that are detained um, supposedly other religious leaders and also um, other, you know, that are others that are very involved in the religious community, such as we have information about, you know, an organist um, at a church that's been detained. And so we'll continue to monitor and speak out against those that we receive information about. There's also activists detained, such as uh, Berta Solor, who's a leader of the Ladies in White, and she comes up in our reporting as that group will frequently hold weekly um, marches where they go to mass, um, although they've been suspended recently because of COVID-19. Just one thing to note about these prisoners in the coronavirus uh, 
context. It's really particularly concerning, and we're worried about their health. Pastor Blanco Ramirez, who I mentioned, has asthma, and so with this underlying condition, it's particularly um, worrisome uh, him being in an overcrowded um, Cuban prison. I also just want to note, too, that a lot of religious communities have come out and really spoken strongly against the violence and in support of the protesters, including the Catholic, Protestant, Methodist Church. And so we'll be continuing to monitor this and hope not to see backlash against these communities, but it's something that we're keeping an eye on as well. Can you tell us what what has been the response so far uh, to the protests by the U.S. government and in particular? you know, how has the Biden administration's policy towards Cuba, has it changed in these uh, uh, since the protests or what 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 kinds of uh, responses are we seeing so far? Is there anything on the human rights, religious freedom uh, space? Yeah, so I think um, it's helpful to start with looking at um, what the Biden uh, policy towards Cuba has been so far. Um, the Biden administration had said um, when campaigning that they were going to go back to the Obama policy of engagement towards Cuba. So there had been this expectation that um, once the um, Biden administration came, um, uh, once they started, there would be a lot of quick changes. But this hasn't really been what has played out. Uh, Biden has said that Cuba is not a priority. And then there's been other factors that have complicated the situation, um, which include, as I mentioned, this crackdown on um, the artists and the freedom of expression and just, you know, the human rights situation continues to get worse. Uh, There's also continuing concerns about the 2017 health attacks against diplomats um, at the U.S. Embassy. Uh, We still don't know what caused those attacks. um, And the U.S. Embassy is really um, has a very slim staff there, um, and I don't think they'll restaff it until they know for sure uh, what what happened and they are investigating it. Um, and there's also just, you know, pressure from Congress not to reengage on some sides with some people. Some other um, con- congressional members are more pro engagement, so they're balancing that and concerns about Venezuela um, as well. And so. With that being said, Secretary of State um, Blinken has said that the policy is currently under review um, and that any new policy coming out would really put human rights at its center um, and empower Cubans to decide their own future. So that's definitely encouraging um, to hear that human rights will really be at the forefront of this. Um, Blinken has put out statements to um, offering support to the Cuban people and, and religious leaders particularly. Um, so that, that's that been encouraging to see, although there hasn't been as much of a focus on the religious freedom issues as the um, expression uh, issues. And so since the protests have started, um, the U.S. government has taken several actions pretty quickly. You know, the Biden administration came out in condemning these mass detentions and the um, sham trials and disappearances and, you know, made it clear that this is, you know, seen as part of an attempt to, um, by the Cuban government to really silence the the calls of um, the Cuban people for greater freedom. 
On July 22nd, as well, um, global Magnitsky uh, sanctions were issued against Cuban military official and also the special uh, police unit that has been responsible for a lot of this repression. And in putting out this uh, these sanctions, they were clear that they warned that there's going to be more sanctions ahead. So we'll be on the lookout to see um, what happens. And I think it's also helpful to note that the U.S. government is working with other countries to try to coordinate putting forth more sanctions. And um, this way they'll be more impactful. Um, you know, if, if more countries are, are involved, it makes it so the perpetrators, you know, can't access um, other countries instead. And so it's also helpful to know that Congress has, you know, responded as well. There's been many Congress um, people that have issued statements. Uh, there's also been a, a Senate resolution put in support of the Cuban people. Um, so that's something we're watching as well. Great. Could you just uh, step back a, a minute here and then give us a sense now outside the protest, what, what are the core issues as far as the religious freedom concerns that, that we've had, but in general where we've seen uh, the violations taking place that you know predated what's, what's going on in recent uh, weeks? Yeah, and so as you mentioned, this is a lot of the religious freedom issues have really been longstanding in Cuba. Um, you know, part of like the, the heart of the issue is really um, there's the Office of Religious Affairs, ORA, which exercises control basically over all religious practice in Cuba. Um, membership in an unregistered religious group is a crime. And so, you know, some of these independent communities, they're practicing of their religion or very existence um, is illegal. Then at the same time, even registered religious groups, you know, the OIRA is really involved with um, pretty much all aspects of their religious practice. They need to get permits for everything except for their regular religious services. Um, and so what we see is that it's really a lot of the um, independent communities whose views aren't aligned with the Cuban government's agenda that are the ones that are targeted the most. And so we see against those communities, there's really a pattern of persistent harassment and intimidation. Um, this is done through threats, um, short-term detentions. In the past, there had been more um, longer-term uh, like prison sentences for for um, these independent religious communities. And so it had, you know, in recent years become more of these short-term detentions. And we hope that with these protests, we're not seeing um, a, a shift in that. Um, they're often surveilled. There's travel restrictions. They can't leave the country. A couple of the other issues that we report on is there's really limited rights in establishing and maintaining houses of worship. Um, and since it's illegal to hold religious activities in a building that isn't deemed um, one for religious use, it, um, and at the same time, it's really hard to get that permission from the ORA to have a building that you can use for religious um, use there a lot of religious practice ends up falling into this category of being um, illegal. And there's also a lot of restrictions on house churches, which is what many Cubans rely on. Um, I kind of touched on this as well, that um, there's a, a problem with the Cuban authorities denying religious freedom and just the ability um, to be, you know, able to go to services and be religious themselves 
for human rights activists and protesters. And we also see that with independent journalists. Um, and one case that we follow is um, a young man named Yoe Suarez, who uh, is frequently detained um, and targeted because of his journalism on religious freedom. So with the remaining time we have, just in a brief time, could you tell us um, what would be the key uh, recommendations that we're putting forward uh, to the U.S. government, you know, other than uh, maintaining Cuba on a special watch list? Uh, give us the core two or three uh, U.S. policy recommendations we'd like to see uh, moved on. Sure. So I think, you know, building on what what I said about there being more um, uh, targeted sanctions, I think it would be really um, helpful to see sanctions on those that are responsible for these religious freedom violations. And we specifically suggest Caridad Diego, who's the head of the ORA and, and responsible um, for a lot of the religious repression that we see. Uh, I think also as the administration continues this process of uh, changing its policy towards Cuba, being very clear in conveying that any engagement or whatever happens now, um, you know, religious freedom, the, the Cuban government still needs to improve that. Um, and, you know, we, we need to see movement in this area. And I think, you know, we really have an opportunity now as the protests are getting attention to be calling out um, the, you know, religious leaders are detained and how this connects to the broader religious freedom conditions in Cuba. So I would say those would definitely be the top two that would really be great to see some movement on. Well, we'll have to leave it right here. I want to thank uh, of Supervisory Policy Analyst uh, Kirsten Labry for her insights uh, today on these breaking developments. Uh, you can find USERF's findings and recommendations on Cuba on our website at www.uscirf.gov. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.